The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, this is your host, Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today is Dr. Hank Wesselman, a paleoanthropologist and cutting-edge scientist who walks in many worlds. For much of the past 40 years, Hank has conducted research with an international group of scientists exploring Eastern Africa's Great Rift Valley in search of answers to the mystery of human origins. His fieldwork has allowed him to spend much of his life living with tribal peoples who are rarely, if ever, visited by outsiders. It was among these indigenous people where he first encountered traditional shamans. Hank is also a well-known and well-respected shamanic practitioner and teacher, now in the 32nd year of his apprenticeship. The books in his autobiographical trilogy, Spirit Walker, Medicine Maker, and Vision Seeker have been published in 13 languages, and they reveal the nature of his initiation into the shaman's world of mystery and magic, documenting his investigations into a hidden reality that many of us may have heard about, but few have actually experienced directly. Hank has authored and co-authored a number of other books on the topic of shamanism, and I would highly recommend all of them. In his most recent book, The Bowl of Light, Ancestral Wisdom from a Hawaiian Shaman, Hank gives us a privileged look into the mind of an authentic Hawaiian kahuna mystic, providing us with insights into the end of this cycle of ages and the beginning of the next, as well as who we are and what we are doing here. Hank first came to my attention as I was beginning my own study and training in shamanic practices about 10 years ago. His book, The Journey to the Sacred Garden, A Guide to Traveling in the Spiritual Realms, was the first book I encountered to speak of shamanism as a time-tested form of sacred technology that could help us evolve our consciousness as individuals and as a species. I've never forgotten that insight, and I'm so honored and happy to have Hank here as my guest today on this internet radio show. I actually created this show with the hope of sharing paths and practices to help all of us develop higher consciousness together. So, Hank, welcome, and thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks, Anne. My God, I'm going to have to... And that intro is really something. It gives me something to live up to. Oh, <laughs> you will have no problem. <laughs> I'm, I'm confident. Yeah. 
Now, I know um, some of the people listening um, will re- certainly recognize you and be familiar with your work, but others may be new, even to the whole idea of shamanism. So I wondered if you would just give us a basic understanding of what a shaman is and how shamans differ from medicine people or priests. Well, you know, when we hear the word shaman, most of us in the West conjure up an image of a masked and costumed tribal person dancing around a fire in the dark, accompanied by maybe singing, maybe music, uh, drum beats, rattling. And, you know, that's, that's a pretty good image, a visual image. But, you know, inside that cultural shell of costume and ritual, there's an individual who has a very real skill. All true shamans are masters of the trance experience. They usually discover, often early in life or later in life, like myself, that they have the ability to access expanded states of awareness, uh, sometimes spontaneously, sometimes in response to ritual and ceremony. And in this uh, expanded state, um, they dissociate their conscious awareness away from this physical world and literally travel or journey into a hidden world, um, which universally is known to everyone everywhere as the spirit world the land of dreams. Now, this is really what distinguishes shamans from other kinds of religious practitioners. Shamans specialize in this very particular kind of trance in which they go into this altered state of consciousness um, and journey into these hidden realms. And the first thing they discover is that these hidden realms are inhabited. They're inhabited by the spirits, the spirits of the elementals, the spirits of nature, of animals and plants, the spirits of the dead, the spirits of ancestors, as well as the higher organizing intelligences that many people anthropomorphize as winged superhumans called angels. That's not how I experience them, by the way. But, you know, this is really what defines shamans. The third aspect of what defines a shaman, in my opinion, do they perform miracles? Mm. Do they perform miracles? We're talking about things like healing and divination and empowerment, conveying the souls of the dead to where they're supposed to go in the afterlife, uh, working with the weather, things like that. This is really what separates shamans from other kinds of practitioners. Now, in terms of shamans and medicine people, this is an interesting question because there's a lot of confusion in the Western world about the kind of work that shamans do and the kind of work that medicine people do. And I think this confusion exists because every shaman is a medicine person, but not all medicine people are shamans. Ah, very good. In fact, you know, in my experience in working with traditional people in Africa, in meeting with Native American people here in the United States, most of the medicine people I've met are not shamans, but they fulfill social roles more like those of priests or priestesses in our mainstream religions. What do I mean by this? Well, they function as ceremonial leaders, ritual leaders, often doing work on behalf of large numbers of people, sometimes entire communities at the same time. Uh, They also may have great knowledge of of healing, of the plant medicines, massage, body work, herbal therapy, uh, you name it, you know. Um, But they do their main work here in this world whereas the shaman does their main work in the other world. And in talking about the other world, I'll just add here before we jump in again, 
You know, indigenous people, in my experience as an anthropologist, they perceive the world as made up of, of, of two halves. There's the world of things seen and the world of things hidden. And indigenous people understand that there's no real distinction between them. You know, as Western people, we look for a, a clear psychological border between what's inside and what's outside, what's in the mind and what's beyond the mind. But for indigenous people, that border doesn't exist. They understand that the hidden worlds and the visible worlds, the physical worlds, present themselves to us together, mixed up into one common reality. So the shaman is really the mediator between their communities, between their, the people that they're working on behalf of, the mediator between the physical and the transpersonal world. So, you know, you could say, you know, in a nutshell, that the shaman is a specialist who uses their own mind and their own body to create bridges between the personal world of form and the transpersonal world of spirit. And when that bridge is formed, it allows the healing gifts to flow across that bridge from the spirit world into our world. And this is often when the miracles happen. I love that definition. That's fantastic. I love it. Now, so many people are interested now um, in learning shamanic techniques. Not Nobody ever declares themselves a shaman, but studying and, and, and maybe apprenticing. What is your experience in teaching people from all over the world uh, how, to, how to access these other worlds? Well, this is an interesting question. In fact, I'm writing about this right now. I'm going to have another book out about this time next year. Um, uh, you know, a lot of people in our, in our Western world today, we've been kind of hypnotized by the glitter of our new gadgets, and our world has been progressively depleted of magic and mystery. And for people like this, when they stumble into or find their way into uh, the shamanic tradition, this is ultimately appealing because it brings us back into connection with the mystery, back into connection with enchantment. And our entire life shifts in response. Often when people are, are seeking uh, to enter this world or connect with this world or learn more about it, uh, they take travel groups to places like Peru or Ecuador with acknowledged or alleged experts, <laughs> right. I could put it that way. Well, you know, they go down there to take ayahuasca and have the visionary experience. And this, this can be a very wild and wacky experience. But usually these travel groups lack the long-term connection with an accomplished spiritual teacher. I'm talking about a shaman, right. which really brings people onto the path. Then there are those in our culture who are lucky and find their way into relationship with an indigenous tribal person here in the United States or elsewhere. Um, but, you know, there are very few now who still know the old ways, who still know the old path, and fewer still who are inclined to share that knowledge with outsiders. Um, you know, that's, you know, just the way things are, because indigenous people are very, very sensitive about cultural appropriation about being ripped off by Western people. But, you know, I might just throw in here that the shaman is an archetypal person who is found in some form in every culture in the world. You know, even in our own culture, there are people with shamanic abilities, and we tend to keep a fairly low profile because humility 
is one of the hallmarks of somebody who's genuine. But, you know, what it reveals is that the shaman's path, this ancient path of the mystic, is one of our birthrights. It belongs to everyone, everywhere. And so it's not about borrowing anything from any other culture, although some people like to do that. You know, some people, uh, Anglo people like to um, get involved with Lakota rituals or sweat lodge or things like this, and uh, hopefully they do it right with an acknowledged teacher. But that's not really necessary. Others, like yourself perhaps and myself, we stumble into this by perhaps reading the published works of somebody who spent a lot of time with indigenous people or somebody like myself who just kind of stumbled into this completely by accident. And, you know, we engage in experiential workshops of varying lengths, sometimes one day, sometimes five days. Um, I actually have seven weeks of, uh, of workshops for training people in depth in this tradition each one progressing to deeper levels. And, you know, I've watched absolutely intrigued as Western people like ourselves often achieve the shamanic state of consciousness and on the very first attempt. Right. I mean, this is really quite extraordinary. This has led me to suggest that there is some kind of evolutionary program on our, on our DNA, on our genetic hardware, uh, on our inner... Um, hard drive, I guess you could call it. And when that that program is double-clicked with the right mouse, and sonic drumming, sonic rattling, dance, singing, hallucinogens, if people use them, you know, these may be different ways of double-clicking the program. I don't use hallucinogens. I use the drum. I use the rattle. And, you know, I've watched intrigued as Westerners will go off on these shamanic journeys you know, I try to give people coordinates about where we're going without telling them what to see. Right. And then they come back and they share their stories with circles. And, um, you know, it's just amazing because these accounts that I listen to would pass muster at any Aboriginal campfire. You know, as Western people were going into those same numinous regions that indigenous tribal shamans go into. Um, and it suggests that these... <laughs> If I could put it this way, it suggests that these realities are freestanding. In other words, they're not generated in the mind of the person who sees them. They're outside the mind, and we're actually accessing something which is clearly separate from the self. This is really quite extraordinary, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And what I love about it is it, it teaches a method of moving in and then coming out. And as a person, like I practice in psychology and People, once they know I'm open to this, will tell me about spontaneous experiences that they've had but had no control over. So you're, you're teaching people to actually have a bit of control about where and when they do this is so valuable. Well, you know, this is part of the goal. Um, the shamanic tradition is reappearing in the Western world. I remember talking to a, a, a Kero shaman in Peru when I took a... Um, travel group down there about 10 years ago. And he, you know, after he looked me over and decided that I was a human being, <laughs> and after I saw him do a fire ceremony, which is absolutely incredible, um, we had a long talk, and he said, you know, down here in Peru, uh, the people are no longer really interested in the shaman's path, you know. 
um, all those people who live up on the Altiplano and the Andes who are growing potatoes and freezing, you know, they, they don't want to live up in there anymore. They want to come down to Lima and get jobs in banks and factories and have pickup trucks and wear um, suits and ties and dresses and so forth and so on. He said, you know, shamanism is kind of on the wane in the indigenous world. But at the same time, this ancient path has kind of taken root once again in the Western world. And he looked at me very seriously and he said, you know, you Westerners are going to be the next carriers of this tradition. And that's not a small thing. That's about dreaming and dreaming correctly. Because there's a, a very great distortion in the dreaming of Western people. And when you look at the shape of our world today, I mean, all you have to do is read the, the headlines in the New York Times every day, which I get online. I mean, you know, we're in trouble. Our world is not doing well. There are dark forces that are loose in the world. And shamans as dreamers, you know, we have an awesome responsibility to restore balance, to restore harmony, to restore peace uh, to our culture, to ourselves, to our families and society at large. Um, this is what it means to be a medicine person. And, you know, I will just come right out and say that authentic medicine people and shamans they understand that the teaching is for everybody, for everybody. So in the tradition in which I work, I would be, although I've been very strongly influenced by the Hawaiian Kahuna tradition, and I've lived with about a dozen uh, indigenous tribal groups in Africa in my work there, you know, there's a new kind of, of shamanism which is coming into being in the Western world, which is based on certain core principles. And this is very much an alignment with the understanding, among the indigenous people, I might add, that each new generation has the responsibility to perpetuate and refresh a continuously, continuously recreated body of technique and tradition, even adding to and changing it, changing the treasure, the hoard of treasure of, of, of uh, this ancient path, because this is the way the path always remained vital and meaningful to those who were walking it. So it shifts and travel as we travel across time. It changes in response to us. And no, this is kind um, of a great thing, don't you think? It's fantastic. It makes it a living tradition. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, we're going to take a little break, but we're going to come back and uh, we're going to talk about your, your new book because uh, that's an opening to talk about the wonderful spiritual knowledge that was shared with you. Uh, so we'll be back in just a moment. This is Ann Gelsheimer with Conscious Evolution Radio. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today is Hank Wesselman, and we're about to talk now about Hank's latest book, The Bowl of Light, Ancestral Wisdom from a Hawaiian Shaman. And this book shares uh, your beautiful relationship with the wonderful Hawaiian elder, Hale Makua. So, Hank, would you would you tell us about the first time you met uh, Makua? He was, that was an amazing story. Well, this was really quite something. Uh, my first book, Spirit Walker, came out in 1995, and it was really it was something quite different because it's about time traveling. It's about how I would have these spontaneous visionary experiences in which I would connect with the mind and soul and body, I might add, of one of my descendants who lives approximately 5,000 years after the collapse of Western civilization. Now, for somebody like me who's a mainstream scientist to publish a book like that is is really quite something, don't you think? <laughs> I would think that would have been a very difficult thing to do. Well, you know, it was like a, uh, it was like an obsession. I had been given this extraordinary experience, and there's incredible teaching. There's also a lot of information about the world that we're walking straight into if we continue to do business as usual. So when this book came out, I kind of held my breath, and the world responded. I mean, I began to be invited to teach at places like Omega, up near Rhinebeck in New York, um, Esalen in Big Sur, California, and so forth and so on. So I was on the island of Hawaii at Christmas time in 1996, and uh, the owners of an institute up in Waimea invited me to come and give a talk. So, you know, I, I agreed to do that. And I showed up there, I think it was on the 28th of December. I've got a good memory for things like this. And it was a Frank Lloyd Wright house, uh, which had just been completed at that time. And about 50 people showed up to hear what I had to say. They'd all had a look at this unusual book. I think they showed up to see if I was real. Right. Anyway, I was just about to begin my talk. And as I recall that day, I was going to talk about the transformational community. That's us. 
about the beliefs, values, and trends that we hold dear. Kind of an academic talk, but you know, I'm an academic type of guy. <laughs> and I was just about to uh, start my talk, and the door opened, and in walked this big Hawaiian man, who's half a head taller than me. He had a flashy aloha shirt on. He was wearing shorts. He had this incredible carved walking stick. He had a long white beard down his chest and a big white ponytail down his back. And he was accompanied by, oh, half a dozen other Hawaiian men, all of them with beards and ponytails, and their wives. So they come in, and this elder is introduced to me by my hosts as the Hawaiian kohuna Halimakua. Now, the word kohuna wasn't actually used, but I'd heard about Makua for years. He was not, you know, just any kohuna. This guy was the big kohuna. (laughs) Right. (laughs) There are big kahunas. And so he'd come to look me over. And so this was a little intimidating, to say the least, you know. So as I began my talk, he and and the Hawaiians were sitting across the room from me, all sort of watching me. Uh, I made a short prayer. In Hawaiian, that's called pule. Mm-hmm. I made a short prayer, and I asked my spirits to, you know, support me in speaking well and speaking truthfully. And this did not escape the attention of this Hawaiian elder. He noticed mm-hmm. that I did this. Then I launched into my talk, and I think I talked for maybe an hour or so. And then the dialogue began. But as it did, you know, I had this sort of pulling sensation like somebody at the front of my shirt was pulling it. It was a pulling sensation in my soul. Mm. And I got this kind of intuitive download that he'd come to say something. And so Ah. I looked at him, and I didn't know what the correct protocol is. And in dealing with uh, indigenous elders, protocol is very important. Protocol is everything. So I looked at Makua, and I said, Makua, um, you have to forgive me. I don't know what the correct protocol is for addressing you. But I have this feeling, <coughs> excuse me, I have this feeling that you've come to say something to me, and would it be correct for me to invite you to talk? Beautiful. Well, this guy, I watched this big man, I watched him do something really interesting. I watched him dissociate. I watched him go completely blank for uh-huh. about 30 seconds, and I knew what he was doing, because yes. I do that too. Right. And then when he reappeared, his eyes refocused on me, and he gave me this big grin, and he said, well, you know, a friend of mine sent me your book, and I read it, the book Spirit Walker. He said, I read it. And then I went down to the beach, and I took your book down there, and I put it down on the sand, and I called in the spirits of my ancestors, and we had a talk about you. Oh. (laughs) Silence in the room. And, of course, I'm I'm standing there. I'm in in the spotlight. And, you know, you know and I know that indigenous people don't like it when you've trespassed into their spiritual traditions. And I had done so big time because there's a lot of kahuna knowledge published in my books, including the Bowl of Light. So, you know, he gives me this long look and he said, uh, they asked me what your name is. And so I told them that your name is Wesselman, Hank Wesselman. And he grinned and he said, uh, the ancestors told me I wasn't pronouncing your name right. He said that your name is Vessel Man, that you're a right. vessel like the canoe. Now, I'm saying that from a place of sharing, not from a place of ego. Exactly. And, you know, I'd been preparing myself to be condemned in a way. You know, it's really, I mean. And so he looks at me and says, listen, don't worry. 
<laughs> you know, we Hawaiians don't write books. We talk and we share with what we find there in our hearts with each other. But in your case, uh, you're a writer, uh, you're an academic, and the ancestors have told me to say to you in front of all these people here that everything you wrote in your book, Spirit Walker, is true, and we Hawaiians need to support you. He said, keep spreading the word. You're making my job easy. Oh, well, what generosity. I was shocked would be an understatement of vast proportions. And um, this was the beginning of an extraordinary friendship that lasted over the last eight years of his life. And the book, The Bowl of Light, is really a compendium of many of the philosophical discussions that he and I had together. My wife was involved as well, my wife, Jill. And, you know, it's um, quite a unique book, which includes a great deal of kahuna wisdom, kahuna knowledge, which has never been shared before. This is not just one more work on Huna. In fact, as some of your Hunatics out there, <laughs> if I could put it this way, as they may understand or not, Huna is not the word for the Hawaiian spiritual tradition. And the Hawaiians get rather prickly when, they, when you use this word. That's not the word for the uh, Hawaiian religion. And I remember asking a Hawaiian elder, oh, maybe 20 years ago, well, if the word huna is not the correct word, what word would be used? And she looked at me and she said, well, you know, we never had a word for religion. But if a word was to be used, the word would be ho'omana. Now, mana is spiritual power, knowledge, wisdom, mana. And when you put ho'o in front of it, it turns it into a verb. So the word ho'omana literally means to empower revealing this relationship between knowledge and power. And so the book, The Bowl of Light, is really, um, you know, I would never claim that it was a channeled book, but it was written, I started to write it a year after Halimakua died in a car accident. He spent the last week of his life with us. He used to come as a visiting elder to our events that we did here in Hawaii, and he would hold people absolutely riveted, sometimes for three or four hours, by opening his heart and sharing his wisdom, his knowledge, uh, his ancestral wisdom especially, with these Western people. And they were aware of the fact that they were having quite a unique experience. So about a year after he passed, I'm working at my computer one day, and I've got his photograph on the wall. He's looking at me right now. And it was like a credit card swipe went through my mind, and suddenly he was in my mind. And we began to have these talks. And since I was sitting in my laptop, I began to write. And so The Bowl of Light is really a book that we wrote together. And I had his permission to do that, and that's an important thing to bring out. He knew I was going to write this book. And he told me that on the night before he died, during our last meeting. So this book, The Bowl of Light, is is one of my faves, and it's doing very, very well. You know, there are people out there. I hear from them all the time through email, and they say, You know, I've just read The Bowl of Light for the sixth time, and I'm still getting new material out of it. It's absolutely extraordinary. I can understand that. that book, don't you think? It's very (laughs) profound. It is a very, and there's so many uh, topics that it covers. I wonder, uh, before our next break, if we could talk about uh, your choice of title. You've called it The Bowl of Light, which is very significant in the book. Could you explain that for us? Well, the Hawaiians have a, have a, a legend. This is not unique to Makua. They all know this. 
they know that when we come into this world, we come in with a bowl of light, which is seeded into us from our higher self, from our oversoul, uh, what the Hawaiians call Aumakua. It divides itself before we come into life, and it sends in a seed of its light that takes up residence within us when we draw our first breath. And that light nurtures and sustains us during our life. But you know, life is long, and the world is strange, and every time we step into the negative polarity, it's like we uh, put a stone in our bowl, and some of our light goes out. And every time we injure somebody with our words or our thoughts or our deeds, every time we take something that doesn't belong to us, every time we achieve success at the expense of somebody else's failure, a stone goes in the bowl. And surely uh, and slowly, our bowl of light begins to diminish, 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 diminish. And I'll just put in here that Makua looked at me very seriously on the day uh, that we met at the volcano crater and Volcano National Park, he said, you know, one of the big problems in the world today is that the world is being run by human beings whose bowls of light are filled with stones, and there's no light coming out of them anymore. They're dark people. And, you know, there was a very powerful metaphor. Yes. He actually gave me a wooden bowl on that day. It's the bowl that holds the light in the center of all of my medicine circles, all of my workshops. And he said, hopefully we learn what we're doing before it's too late. And he said, you know what you do then? And of course, I'm hanging on every word. And I said, what? I said, what? And he took the bowl back from me, and he turned it over, and he said, we just dump it out. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah, this is called clearing. But he said, once we do that, and we understand the nature of how things are put together, we live our lives differently. And it's at that point that we become spiritual warriors. Now, he used the word warrior with the liberation because he was in the Marines for 20 years. He was the archetypal warrior. He was in five wars. The first was Beirut. The last was Vietnam, where he was shot up very badly through his legs and feet in his 90th patrol behind enemy lines. So he was the warrior. And he said, as spiritual warriors, we walk a very narrow path, which is constrained by three sacred directives. In Hawaiian, this would be called a kapu, K-A-P-U, kapu, a directive. He said, number one, we must love all that we see with humility. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, easy one first. Yeah, really. (laughs) Number two, we have to live all that we feel with reverence. Mm, And number three, we have to know all that we possess with discipline, and that includes self-discipline. And, of course, this is the one where so many of our leaders, including our religious leaders and gurus, stumble. Self-discipline is absolutely necessary if you're going to walk the spiritual path. So that's our job, you know, uh, to love, to live, and to know with humility, reverence, and discipline. And this is the story of the bowl of light. Beautiful. Now, you mentioned our higher self, which is one of our souls, uh, but there, there's two more according to this tradi- tradition, isn't there? In fact, uh, many, many people in the world that I've connected with, indigenous people, understand that we have not one, but three souls. Okay. Um, the higher self is our spiritual soul. 
It's the immortal aspect of the self that travels across time, growing, increasing, and becoming more in response to what its embodiments do and become here on the physical plane. The physical plane is the level of action. The spiritual plane is more like a level of information. It's more like the memory banks in your hard drive. (laughs) But when that bowl of light, when that seed of light comes in from our higher self and takes up residence in a new body for a new lifetime, it encounters a distinct and separate soul, which is already in residence. Mm. This is the soul of the body, the body soul. It was sourced to us from our mother and our father. In the same way that there is a genetic template, half from the mother, half from the father. There's a psychic energetic template, half from the mother, half from the father, which includes all ancestral imprints from the mother's and father's lineage. So the first thing that has to happen is that this incoming spiritual essence, this spiritual soul, it has to establish a successful relationship with the body soul. The third soul comes into life as we live it. This is the mental soul. This is what we would call intellect, or what Freud called the ego, or what Jung called the conscious mind. The inner director, the inner decision maker, Hmm. the aspect of ourself that practices discernment, assigns meaning to, and makes decisions. You know, as such, it's kind of like our inner chief, our inner CEO. The body-mind is the enabler. It's the source of our emotions and feelings. Its function is memory. Um, It's programmed by the evolutionary process to operate and repair and restore the physical body. You know, that inner healer that we all know about is actually the body-soul itself. You know, um, the interface between ourself and the other. So all psychic experience and all shamanic experience happen through the body-soul what Jung called the subconscious, and Freud called the id. You know, the now first we're, in, the, we're gonna... um, in the Western tradition to really zero in on this was Pythagoras. Remember Pythagoras? I do. You to stagger through Pythagoras and geometry, the Pythagorean right. theorem. Well, he was also a mystic and a shaman. <sighs> he was the first in the Western tradition to really write about what he called the three principias, the three principal aspects of the self the body, the mind, and the spirit. Sorry, Hank, I'm gonna, we're going to have to go to a commercial break. Okay. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about um, the ancest- where our ancestors come from, according to this tradition. And where I'm leading with that question is our connection to star beings. So this is Anne Gelsheimer with Conscious Evolution Radio, and we'll be right back. is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. 
Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Again, that's ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and you're listening to Conscious Evolution Radio. My guest today is Hank Wesselman, who is a wonderful shaman and teacher, and we've been having a fascinating discussion about some of the knowledge he he received from one of the, the big kahuna in the Hawaiian tradition, Hale Makua. Now, I wanted to ask Hank kind of a special question. This is uh, along the line of my own interest in our connection with star beings or extraterrestrial beings. I know from other guests that we've had on the show, they've talked about either their own direct contact with extraterrestrial beings or uh, their research into um, actual encounters between American Indians and uh, star beings that have happened in the last 20, 30 years. So, would you tell us about Makua's perception that humanity actually originally came to planet Earth from the stars, and also tell us about the high guardians that brought us here? Well, this is a story which he told me one day in response to his asking me a question about what I did as an anthropologist. And when I told him that I was working with human evolution, he was quite intrigued, and he said, well, how far back are you? How far back in time? So I told him, you know, well, I'm working in that range of time now between 4 million and 6 million years ago in these fossil beds in Ethiopia where we're recovering the fossilized remains of an early kind of proto-human, which is literally half ape, half human. In fact, it may be the famous missing link that Charles Darwin found said that we would eventually find in Africa. Um, now, the whole concept of missing link is an acrimonious one among anthropologists, so I'll just let that sit. But, you know, (laughs) Makuas looked at very thoughtful, and he said, well, when you get back to 18 and a half million, that's where you'll find me. Well, this was intriguing to me. Uh, 18 and a half million years ago is a period of time uh, called the Miocene period, the early Miocene. And, you know, the world was really different then, including the flora and the fauna. And without going paleo on you guys, uh, I thought to myself, well, I wonder what he 
what, what he's after. So I asked him to elaborate on this, and he said, well, he said, the Kohona people of Polynesia understand that we actually came from the stars. We actually came here not in spaceships, not in machines. We came here as seeds of light, as souls. Mm-hmm. And we were brought here in canoes made of light. In other words, he was talking about an energetic uh, phenomenon. Right. And he said, we were brought here to this planet about 18 and a half million years ago uh, by high guardians who knew our purpose and our destiny. We were brought here because at that time they were biological vehicles, physical vehicles that were ready to receive us. Now, this was a very interesting thing for him to say, because the early Miocene is when we find the first definitive anthropoid apes. Now, the ape, uh, you know, population of species during the Miocene was very diverse. There were many different kinds. Monkeys also came into being in this, in this range of time. But, you know, the apes kind of fade out towards the end of this period when we get into the Pliocene and the Pleistocene. So we've only got a few left. We've got the bonobos, the chimpanzees, the gorillas, and the orangutans. They're the only ones left. But in the Miocene, they were very, very diverse. And the ones that existed in the Miocene were known to science as the dryopithecines. Now, they were actually more like monkeys in the sense that they ran along the tops of branches uh, rather than arms swinging underneath branches like apes do today. But they lacked tails. Now, you'll notice if you look around your life today that nobody you're looking at has a tail, at least nobody we can, we, none that we can see. Right. <laughs> right. Now, they also had a dental uh, complex. I'm talking about teeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, which were definitively ape-like, so do human beings today. Human beings are actually rather curious bipedal apes, although we think of ourselves as distinct from the apes. We share 98.5% of our DNA in common with chimpanzees, for example. Right. Anyway, there was no way Makua could have known this, that these dryopithecine apes existed at this time. So I was aware of the fact that he was onto something, so I talked a little bit about the Dryopithecine apes and how one particular branch uh, diverged off about, you know, between eight and six million years ago and eventually led to humanity. And he looked very thoughtful as I was telling him this. And he said, yes, we were brought here as souls 18 and a half million years ago. And he said, the interesting thing is that some of the guardians embodied as well so that they would be here when we were ready to receive the wisdom of our destiny and our purpose. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if these high spiritual guardians were to embody here as well, what would they embody as? And my guess was that they would embody as ascension species with large brains. And so as a scientist, my mind starts to go down the faunal list of the early Miocene, and I can do that. And I suddenly had it. The cetaceans. Of course. <laughs> oh, very exciting. Well, we have, we have primitive whales that go back to the Eocene 50 million years ago. And we have primitive primates that go 50 million years ago to the Eocene. But the first modern whales and dolphins, believe it or not, appear in the early Miocene. And I suddenly realized that the dolphins and the whales are the guardians who came with us across the universe and brought us here. Now, Makua was very psychic, and I didn't even have to tell him. 
He just <laughs> looked at me and he said, you got it. Oh, wow. Now, Jill was with us, so I had to reiterate the story. And I said, the whales and the dolphins are the guardians who brought us here, aren't they? He said, yes, they are. In Polynesia, we call the whales the record keepers, and we call the dolphins the keepers of the divine breath of life, the keepers of the ha. So I said, well, you know, what was the knowledge that they passed to us? Have they passed it to us yet? And he said, yes, they have. Unfortunately, and he looked very sad. He said, unfortunately, we've forgotten. We've, we've, we've diverged away from the teachings of the guardians. Right. And I said, well, could you say something about those? And he said, yes, I can. He said, the dolphins and the whales convey to us the purpose of our destiny, which is twofold. He said, first of all, we were brought here to grow, increase, and become more, and enjoy ourselves in the beauty of this physical world. We're here to enjoy ourselves. To play. And secondly, he said, we're to remember our divine origins through the experience of love for one another. And in Hawaiian, that's aloha kekahi ikekahi, uh, love one another. He said, that's the purpose of our destiny. That's what we're here to do, to enjoy ourselves and to love each other. He said, it's very simple. It's a wonderful story, don't you think? I love that story, and the timing of you telling me this is so fantastic. I'm actually preparing to go for two weeks with Joan Ocean, um, swimming with the whales and the dolphins. I'll actually be on your island next month. So this is very, very exciting for me to hear what you're sharing. Uh, Joan's a friend of mine. I love Joan. I, I've, I've, I've swam with her and the, the dolphins before, but this is a two-week intensive, and she's bringing in uh, someone that I met uh, from Australia who's just an incredible, has an incredible knowledge of whales and their songs and also approaches it shamanically. So it's going to be fantastic. You know, at night we'll be talking about all these concepts that you're talking about right now, these understandings, and then during the day we'll actually be in the water with them. Well, you're going to have fun. You know, the, dol- the dolphins are very psychic. Uh, I remember when I lived here in the 80s with my family and the Spirit Walker visions were happening at that time. Uh, I remember swimming in Kealakekua Bay, which is very clear, very blue water. And these dolphins, these spinner dolphins, would would come in. And I remember looking down into the depths and seeing this mother with a calf. And she must have been about 100 feet down. I mean, she was really down there. And I remember thinking to myself, gosh, I'd sure like to have a closer look at that calf. And there was this millisecond delay. And I would say within the next three or four seconds, that mother and calf were eyeball to eyeball with me, six feet away from me, at the same level I was in in the water. Wow. You know, brought her right, brought right up there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, have to be careful what you think about when you're <laughs> in the water with the dolphins. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, yeah, we only, wonderful we, beings. We only have about three minutes left. I'm wondering if there's anything in particular you would like to share with our listeners from the book. It's not a lot of time, but or even of anything that you have planned that's upcoming. Well, you know, I was talking with Sandra Engerman recently uh, on in an interview, a live interview as well, and we were promoting her her Shift Network um, uh, workshop that was coming up. As you know, Sandra Ingerman and I wrote a, an award-winning winning book together. Oh, it's you wonderful. Know, the, 
a book called Awakening to the Spirit World, The Shamanic Path of Direct Revelation. It was the best book of the year uh, in 2011 for the body-mind-spirit category. Anyway, we're talking about this, and she asked me the same question, and I, I, I thought about it, and you know who appeared in my mind? Who? The actor Liam Neeson. Really? Yeah, he suddenly appeared in my mind, and I remembered a film that I saw him in uh, several years ago called Rob Roy, about oh, yes. the Highland uh, uh, warrior and, I guess, revolutionary Rob Roy McGregor. It was a wonderful right. film. There's this wonderful scene where Rob Roy, played by Liam Neeson, is advising this little boy who's playing his son. And he looks at this little boy and he said, there's something that you must understand quite clearly. Honor is a gift that a person gives to themselves. He said, mm-hmm. nobody can give it to you, and nobody can take it away from you. And I thought about this, and I, I responded to Sandy by saying, you know, the work that you and I are doing as teachers and practitioners and all the people who've passed through our workshops, you know, between her and myself, and between my wife and I as well, you know, we've probably trained thousands and thousands of people over the last 30 years. And I said, you know, the work that we're doing as teachers and shamanic and practitioners, this really reflects our honor. This is honorable work, and that's not a small thing. So this is a good thought to leave you with, since you're also walking this ancient path. You know, the, you. the work that we're doing in the world is really about restoring balance and harmony and restoring peace and involving ourselves in healing work. And this work really reflects our honor. I want to thank you so much, Hank, uh, for, for those closing words, which is something to think about, and for being on, on the show and for all the people you've taught. I, I've been very touched by your work, and I do hope you'll come back. Yep, let's so, do it. <laughs> so, Sounds like everything's right on track. Excellent. So thank you all for listening. This is Conscious Evolution Radio, and uh, have a good evening. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.